Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. From Luke 1, 57 through 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he's to be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed and he began to speak praising God. Fear came over all of their neighbors and all of these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, what then will this child become? For indeed the hand of the Lord was with him. The word of the Lord. Hello everybody, my name is Dan Cook. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Genesis and it is always a privilege for me to be with you. Thank you to those of you who are here in the chapel with us and thank you to those of you who are watching along at home or wherever you may be watching online. Thank you very much for being a part of the community and being with us here this morning. Very excited about Oshida's book study. That's something several folks have been asking for. Uh, we finally uh, found a spot in her calendar where she could, she could manage to get this done. So it's going to be uh, really looking forward to it. If you haven't read Dear White Peacemakers yet, I know some of you have. It's a terrific, terrific book. And to have her lead us through that is going to be something pretty, pretty special. So I encourage you when that sign up uh, shows up next week to get registered for that, um, which isn't like there's a limited number of spots. That's just, you know, we need to know how many people are actually going to be there. So we are in the third week of Advent. And Advent, of course, as many of you know, there are themes that go with each week, you know, year in and year out. That first week we talk about hope and the second week is peace and the third week is joy. And that, of course, dovetails very nicely with the theme of our Advent series this, this year, How Does a Weary World Rejoice? And I wrestled with that word a little bit as I was preparing both for this series in general and then specifically for this week because rejoice can have a lot of different connotative meanings to it. And so, you know, as, as the nerd I am and the Enneagram 5 I am, I go straight to the dictionary. And the Oxford Dictionary says that to rejoice means to feel or show great joy or delight to feel or show great joy or delight. So the question then becomes, how does a weary world find, feel or show great joy or delight? In the first week of Advent, Oshida introduced us to this question and talked about the early story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then last week, Pastor Kara talked about uh, finding joy through connection with people and talked about the story of Elizabeth and Mary and their shared experience. And now this week, we go back to that story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John. So if you'll recall that early story, Zechariah, John's father, is a priest, and he's doing his priestly duties, and here shows up the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel tells Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John, and he's going to pave the way for the coming of the Messiah. And John says, well, okay, but, you know, Elizabeth and I aren't exactly spring chickens, and she hasn't born a child so far, so are you sure? 
And Gabriel gets his wings in a twist and says, okay, if you don't believe me, you're going to be mute until the child shows up. And Zechariah loses his voice for the next nine months until the child's born. And that's where we pick up this passage here today. So today we have this story where the child's born and immediately the, the family and the people that are around Elizabeth want to name him Zechariah, right? It, it's tradition in that point that you would name a male son after the male lineage, that's some name that's in your male lineage. And so they immediately jump to Zechariah and Elizabeth says, no, 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 his name's John. I, oh, wait a minute, that's strange. There's no John in your family tree. Why would you name him John? And so they turn to, to uh, Zechariah and in a very ableist way, it says that they motion at him. He's mute. He's not deaf, right? He can hear you. You can talk to him. That's fine. But, you know, like, and it's something we still, I think a lot of us that, you know, are not disabled struggle with, right? Is, okay, he's, he's mute, but I got to talk really loud. No, he can hear you just fine. It's, it's fine. But they motion to him and he asks for a writing tablet and, and writes down, no, the child's name is John. And when he writes down, his name is John. That's him demonstrating faith in what the angel of the Lord told him, and boom, there's his voice back. And everyone's amazed. And it's that word amazed that I want to focus on today, because we see the amazement that's surrounding this event immediately turn to joy in Zechariah's praising of God. And if we're asking, how does a weary world rejoice? How does a weary world feel and show joy and delight? And one of the ways to find that joy or to show that joy, I think, is through amazement, through those moments of amazement that come in all of our lives. Recognizing those moments, embracing those moments, leaning into those moments is something we forget to do at times. And this week, if you take away nothing else, I want you to remember to be amazed once in a while. So let's talk about that a little bit. That word amazed that comes in this particular passage, the Greek word there is thalmazo. Really fun word, right? Thalmazo, a fun word. It appears 47 times in the New Testament, and it gets rendered a lot of different ways. In fact, even in this particular verse, if you look at different versions of the Bible, you know, we use the NRSV mostly here when we do our scripture reading, and it renders it amazed. But there's other translations that would render it, the people wondered, or the people were astonished, or the people marveled. Just in this verse alone, you can render it a bunch of different ways. Luke uses the same word again in the very next chapter to describe the reaction that people had to the shepherds announcing the birth of Jesus. Chapter 2, verses 16, and, verse 16 through 18 say this. They say, So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were, thaumadzo, amazed at what the shepherds told them. Many of those 47 times in the New Testament, that word is used in a reaction way to some miracle of Jesus, right? Later in Luke chapter 11, verse 14 says, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the one who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were thamadzo. They were amazed. The Hebrew equivalent is this word tama. There's no quiz on this later, I promise. The Hebrew equivalent is this word tama, and you find that a bunch in the Old Testament. If you go to the Habakkuk, Chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Look at the nations and see, be astonished, that's Tama, be astounded, that's also Tama, for a work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told. Yes, they use the same word twice, and English renders it differently. Welcome to the wonderful world of biblical translation. 
it's really difficult. There's a reason there's so many different translations. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that this sense of amazement, this sense of astonishment, this sense of awe comes all throughout scripture. And in every one of those cases I cited, and in most cases where you find those words being used, the amazement is followed by joy. There's a pattern. It's a prevalent pattern. If that pet pattern is prevalent in scripture, then you got to wonder if it's prevalent in our lives too. And that leads us to today's all play. For those of you who are relatively new, we like to hear the voice of the chorus as much as like we like to hear the voice of the soloist. I could bore you to tears, and I'm about to, uh, with stories of my own astonishment and amazement, but I want to hear some of yours first. So I want you to think, when was the last time you felt that sense of astonishment? that sense of amazement, that sense of awe. And it could be something big, it could be something small, but just something that stopped you and you went, oh, wow. And you can shout out, if you're here, you can shout out an answer. If you're at home, feel free to type something in the chat and Josh will let me know that we have something. Grandchildren, Pam says, thank you. Yes, we'll absolutely be talking about kids here, for sure. Who else? What else? The last time you felt a sense of awe or amazement. Mm, snow during Christmas tree hunting is what we used to call it in my family. Thank you, Joan. Who else? Sense of awe or amazement or astonishment. Yes, sunrise earlier this week. Perfect example. Yes. Anybody else? I mean, if you think about it, and now they got to deliver Amazon packages too, so they're really. Yes. 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 For those of you at home, Nate talks about the, the magic of the postal system, that we can click something on our phones and a couple of days later, there it is on our doorstep. And when you think about the logistics of that, it is actually pretty incredible. Yes, Josh. Of course, she says the sunrise over the ocean. Raja, is she in South Carolina right now? Is that what? No, not yet, not yet. Yes, the sunrise over the ocean, that absolutely counts. Thank you, Raja. There's a pattern here, or there's some commonalities if you think about it. There's a lot of different aspects we could talk about when it comes to astonishment and to amazement, but I want to focus on three. I want to talk about wonder. A lot of that, we talked in a lot of those examples, coalesce around wonder. I want to talk about delight. That's where we'll talk about kids. And the third one might leave you scratching your head a little bit, but hang with me. I want to talk about fear because that's a little bit of it too. So let's dig into those. Amazement can present as wonder when we're pondering things that seem incredulous, the things that's difficult to get our heads around, like Nate was talking about with the Postal Service. And those of you who know me and have heard me preach plenty know that when I start thinking wonder, I immediately look up to the heavens and I start thinking about the universe and I start thinking about you know, stars and planets and galaxies and just the vastness of a 13.8 billion year old universe just leaves me in complete wonder and awe and astonishment and amazement when I think about it. Psalm 19, I quote this all the time, the first verse of Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Remember firmament, 
the ancients used to think of the earth obviously as a flat disk and there was a dome over the top of it and that contained the sky and the heavens and everything you know moon stars all of that stuff was in that dome and they referred to that dome as the firmament so the heavens are telling the glory of god and the firmament proclaims his handiwork i love my whole life i've loved looking at the sky and pondering the stars and pondering our place in the universe and that has always affected me at a very deep level but like the last year or so maybe a year and a half i've had this feeling of when i'm looking at the heavens or when i'm pondering or i'm thinking about that the holy spirit coming alongside of me and saying yeah yeah that's that's really cool now tilt your chin down for a minute and look around here because that same vastness, that same interconnectedness that blows you away when you think about all these stars and, and galaxies and things in the heavens, you can also find that on an earthly scale all around you at any minute. What do I mean by that? Well, let's take a listen to Psalm 104 for a minute. Verses 24 and 25 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, great and wide, Creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There is a sense of vastness and connectedness right here, like I said, on an earthly scale. A couple of weekends ago, I was up at Covenant Pines for a retreat. And those of you that are familiar with the grounds up there, if you head towards the Silver Beach cabins, or specifically the White Pines cabin, there's a little creek that runs alongside that, and a very cute little uh, wooden arch bridge that goes over it. I've seen it a thousand times. I've taken pictures of it multiple times. But I've never actually walked across the bridge before. And so I was on for, out for a walk and I thought, well, you know, what the heck? And so I go to, and I'm literally just thinking of crossing this bridge. But as I get to the top, I happen to look over to the side. And it was cold enough early in the year where the creek had frozen at the top, but there was no snow. So that ice was clear as glass. I mean, you could see straight down to the bottom of the creek. And I sat there and I looked down and there's, you know, some little things down there scurrying around. And I thought, you know, I, I sit here and I want to ponder this enormous universe. Whatever these little creatures are that are down there, that section of creek is their entire universe. They'll be born there, they'll live whatever life they live there, and they'll probably die there. And never mind the rest of the campgrounds, never mind that there's a town surrounding it or a state surrounding that or a country or a globe or a universe. To them, that is the whole universe, just that little section of creek. And it just sort of blew me away to think, you know, I'm up here looking at 13.8 billion years of stars and galaxies and whatnot, and these little things are just crawling around doing their thing as God has designed them to do, and this is their whole universe. And those kinds of realizations for me bring an inevitable feeling of design, inevitable feeling that I can see God's hand in this. And that makes me feel closer to God, and that brings me joy. That sense of wonder, that sense of amazement, that sense of awe and astonishment brings me joy. Again, Enneagram 5, but it's there. Joy can be wonder. Joy can also be delight. And this is where we'll talk about kids a little bit, because that's where I think when, when amazement shows itself as delight is when we're pleasantly surprised by something unexpected. And kids are in so many ways pleasant for the most part, but they're very much unexpected. I mean, they have their moments, you know, my oldest nephew is 20 years old, uh, but when he was like, I don't know, three or four, he had a broken bone in his foot and he was walking around in a walking cast. And so he's over at my apartment one time and we're hanging out and I think we were on the floor playing with like poker chips or something, stacking them up and knocking them down. He was having a blast. But as kids are wont to do, he decided he needed something on the other side of the room. And kids don't slowly get themselves up and walk over to wherever it is they need to be and get what they need and slowly walk back. No, 
kids spring to their feet and zoom over to the other side of the room, right? So he pops up, plants that cast and go, well, my hand happened to be on the floor. And he, I mean, if he had measured, if he had stopped and waited and tried to aim, he couldn't have hit that hand any more square on than he did with that cast. So I, you know, I just react. I, oh, oh man, Cade, you got to be careful. And that little bugger got right down and looked me square in the eye and in the most dead serious tone said, Uncle Dan, next time don't put your hand there. <laughs> and how do you argue with that logic? I mean, it's right. I mean, it's, oh, well, sorry, Cade. I, it's my fault for putting my hand where you wanted to step. But kids do that, I think, so often. It, 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 there's a delight in their simpleness. They're able to cut through the cynicism that the world heaps upon us in the best way, just the best, most unexpected ways. And the point I want to make is that that delight that we have in kids is the delight God has in us. It says in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord your God will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Psalm 37, verse 23, states that God delights in every detail of your life. Every single detail of your life. God delights in us, the same way we delight in kids. Again, those of you who know me know that I wrestle with kids' ministry. Not that I think it's a bad thing, but it's, I, I know how difficult it is to teach adults. Trying to teach kids is a whole other level of stuff. But it's a good challenge. It's a challenge that stretches me in ways I need to be stretched. And it reminds me, directly, that at the core of following Jesus, at the core of being a Christian, is just being good to each other. Forget about all the dogma and doctrine. You know, at the very base level, if we can get that down, and we haven't yet, but if we can get that down, just being good to one another, we go, it goes a long, long way. And so that's what I try to focus on when I'm down there with the kids, is how do I make this space feel safe, feel fun, feel like a place where kids are free to explore and to do things and to create those moments of delight. And the reward for the challenge of trying to create that space is I get to see those moments of delight firsthand. And that is complete joy. Anybody who's ever volunteered down there has seen it and knows exactly what I'm talking about. There is pure and unadulterated joy in kids, in addition to everything else that comes with kids. Let's just be honest. So amazement and awe and astonishment can present as wonder, it can present as delight, and it can also present itself as fear. And this one may have left you scratching your head when I mentioned it earlier, but hang with me. Amazement comes as fear when we're experiencing something that we've never encountered before, we don't really understand what it is. But when that understanding arrives, fear is almost always replaced by joy. There's that phrase, fear of the Lord, especially a lot in the Old Testament. And that can bother a lot of us because we think of fear as a negative emotion. But fear also is this sense of amazement and astonishment and awe. And when you understand better what's behind it, it becomes joy. There's an example in today's text. If you look at verse 65, it says, Fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. Zechariah gets his voice back. People are amazed. Then comes the joy as he sings praises to, to God. And then those people that are amazed go out and tell their friends and their family members, you, you're never going to believe what happened. And those folks who didn't witness it, who don't exactly understand the context, other than what they're being told secondhand, are, a little, are understandably afraid. 
when God moves and we're reminded of God's power and God's omniscience, it can, be, it can induce a little bit of fear. But when we understand the love that is always behind everything God does, that fear gets replaced by joy. Personal example. Uh, has anybody ever heard ice sing before? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Kristen? Mark? Again, I was up at Pines again a couple weeks ago, weekends ago, and I'm, Friday night I'm headed to the Lakeside Chapel for a service. And as I walk onto the deck, I hear this moan come up from the lake. And the only thing I could compare it to was like, it almost sounded like whale song. There aren't any whales in that lake. I'm pretty confident, right? So what in the world? In fact, it was so foreign to me when I first heard it, I suspected I didn't actually hear it. Uh, maybe I miss it. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm, I don't know what's going on. But I, so I waited outside a minute. And sure enough, several minutes later, here it came again. And another time. And I'm like, what? And I'm literally kind of freaked out. I mean, is there an animal out here going through hypothermia? What is going on that's making this noise? I had no clue. So I went inside. And as more people came into the chapel, they started, hey, did you guys hear that sound? We were all confused and a little bit freaked out. And one of the people that was running the, the retreat said, oh, no, no, that's the ice. What do you mean that's the ice? He says, well, as the lake is freezing over, you have multiple sheets of ice that are sort of bumping into each other. Or you have one sheet of ice that's, that cracks. And it sort of slips, if you think of tectonic plates in an earthquake, right? It just, they sort of rub up against each other or slip against each other. And that creates a vibration. And that vibration creates sound. And that sound, if you're in the, in the right spot, sounds like a moan coming up off the lake. If you don't believe me, I don't blame you. I didn't believe it when it was happening. But go to YouTube and type in ice singing. You can hear what I'm talking about. It's there. So what started as a little bit fearful, of what in the world is the sound that I'm hearing? Once I understood a little bit better what it was, it was beautiful. Here's God's creation singing to us. And I was just filled with a sense of amazement and astonishment and joy. Here's God's creation singing, and I'm standing here getting to take it all in. It was just incredible. That fear, once you understand what's going on, turns to joy. When you look at today's artwork, when you come up for communion, I, I, I encourage you to take a look at the piece of artwork. Because you'll see Zechariah kind of in the forefront to the left here, and Elizabeth with John to the right. And you'll see that representation of John's voice singing praises to God. But if you look at the rest of the faces, the people around him, you'll see wonder, and you'll see delight. And you'll even see a little bit of fear. But all of it becomes joy. All of it becomes joy. So how does a weary world rejoice? Well, one of the ways we can rejoice is through amazement, embracing those senses of wonder and delight, and yes, even fear. But that embrace requires intentionality because the world is weary. Many of us feel a sense of weariness, a sense of overwhelming, overwhelmingness at this time of year, or just because of the chaos that's going on. Not everybody. Some of us are lucky enough to not feel that as intensely as other folks. I would suggest those of you who don't feel that as intensely as other folks are especially uh, well-equipped to help the rest of us find this joy and find these moments of amazement. But it, it, there is a weariness out there. And I think one of the ways we cope with that weariness is to sort of put ourselves on autopilot a little bit. 
If you think about the last time you were at work and had a really busy day and it was just drudgery and you were just tired and done with it all, and you got to the end of the day and then you couldn't really remember exactly what it is you actually accomplished that day because you were just sort of going through the motions. Or if you had a really busy day at work and then you're driving home and you get home and you pull into your parking spot and realize, yeah, I took the same route I always took, but I have no idea what happened because my brain was in someplace else, right? Those happen. None of us want to approach life that way, but I mean, sometimes it's just necessary to maintain our sanity, right? That happens. And I don't want to judge or knock anybody's coping strategies. Coping strategies are necessary and I affirm them fully. I do want to point out that there's a trap in coping strategies like that. And the trap is that we get so comfortable just being on autopilot that we forget to stop and be amazed. That in addition to life being wearying, that in addition to life being overwhelming, yes, all of that, absolutely. And life can also be amazing. Again, if you take nothing else away from today, don't forget to be amazed. Because those moments are out there all the time, waiting for you to engage. Don't forget to be amazed. Being open to those moments, recognizing those moments when they show up, embracing them, leading, leaning into them, truly filling yourself with that sense of wonder, with that sense of delight, even with that sense of fear, knowing that joy lies just beyond it. And then taking a minute to thank God because we get to experience these small and large moments of sheer and utter amazement. How does a weary world rejoice? Through God's love, through God's mercy, through God's grace, a weary world rejoices when we remember to be amazed. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with Please us, visit genesiscove.org. Thank you.